Welcome to the Black Knight Nation podcast. I'm your host, Sal Interdonato. The Black Knight Nation podcast is sponsored by Higher Echelon. Higher Echelon is a company run by Joe Ross. He's a former Army fullback. He's a former Army assistant coach and former Army officer. And we thank Higher Echelon for getting on board for a second year on the Black Knight Nation podcast as a sponsor. Much appreciated. Um, Guys, if you're watching this podcast right now, you can check us out on our YouTube channel, Black Knight Nation. You can subscribe, like, the videos uh, we just had on Gavin Lawrence, who is a 1990s uh, offensive lineman, and Joel Davis on last week. Uh, there's a bunch in the archives, including John Voigt. Um, please check us out and our website, blacknightnation.com. Uh, Steve Anderson, co-host, we're welcoming back. Steve, thanks. Steve, good to, good to have you back, man. Yeah, Sal, good to be back. And uh, got uh, got an Army football brother right here that I got to – Got to play with and meet. So, Chris, thanks for coming on tonight, and I uh, look forward to the show, man. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. I'm going to be here. Yeah, Chris Nicholas here, who um, former Army fullback as an Army prep coach, uh, assistant coach, too. So, uh, Chris, thanks for coming on. And we usually start the podcast off with your story on how you got to West Point, your path to West Point. So maybe um, you can uh, tell, tell us your story of how you got to uh, the academy. Sure. I, uh, from middle or from Wolfville, Maryland, originally went to Middletown high school down there. Um, kind of started going down the Academy route, just looking at him. Cause my uncle was in the Marines. He was enlisted Marine, you know, growing up, um, as I was growing up, you know, he would say to me like, Hey, you should, as you're getting closer to college, you should really look at the academies. And, you know, obviously as a Marine, he pushed me towards the Naval Academy, which, you know, being in Maryland, it was a, that's kind of what got me peaked on the Academy. So started, a, you know, looking there and, and then as time went on, ended up, uh, you know, Ar- Army had the things that I li- wanted to came on a visit up here, um, really touched home with me being here and just kind of being around, being around the culture here. And then it had football, it had engineering, which I wanted to get into. And then, you know, the Army just seemed, you know, I've always been kind of an outdoors, you know, outdoors guy and, you know, athletics, athletics have always been a big part of my life. So it seemed like a natural fit. So that's kind of what, how I wound up here. Yeah, Chris, um, you know, me and Chris go way back to high school, played uh, high school football against each other, and he's actually um, one of the first per- people I met, uh, well, re-met, I guess, uh, when I went up on my visit. But that was the same kind of deal with me. I, I I was so nervous about being stuck on a boat that I just could not – like, I couldn't even see myself um, even going to the Naval Academy if it was just an – it was even a possibility like hey you're gonna be on a boat for eight months i was just like oh my god like that's that's not that's not me you know like i'm an outdoors guy um so but yeah no that's um that's pretty cool chris can you talk a little bit about um what positions you played in high school and how you fit under like who your recruiting coach was and how that whole process went down as far as you know going prep going direct you know any kind of those conversations and then you know where you kind of felt the culture was where uh where where the culture was at when you first got there sure yeah well in high school I was primarily a linebacker played a little bit of you know tight end kind of bounced around as they needed on on offense but primarily inside you know middle linebacker um when it came to colleges army actually army uh, didn't recruit me so (laughs) ironically uh I was recruited a little bit at navy by one coach Jeff Munkin uh back in 2004 or 2003 I guess it was um obviously ended up that didn't didn't go work out there ended up coming here getting in uh without being recruited and uh ended up walking on here at the academy um so yeah it's you know small world you know everything comes full circle it's pretty cool you just 
you'd always tell Coach Munkin, you know, he can't he can't go recruiting because he, you know, he couldn't seal the deal back in 2004, you know, (laughs) (laughs) that's cool, man. So when, um, when you got to the Academy and you walked on, um, I know you go through, uh, what is it during, during beast, you know, you, you start doing sports days or whatever, like a a week or two in you go, you go to walk on, um, what was that experience like? Did you know anybody else from the area or did you, did you have any kind of expectations as far as when you walked on, what to expect when you you came into the weight room and met the coaches for the first time? So, yeah, they did the, the Beast walk-on tryouts that year. And I don't – they didn't keep me – I don't think they kept anybody there. The only thing I remember was, you know, they did – you know, we ran the 40 and pro agility and stuff. And it was a brand-new field. So everybody's slow as, you know, slow as you could ever be. So that's the most important <laughs> thing on a football field is the 40 and the right. pro agility, right? You can't play unless you have – you're good right so i didn't i did they didn't keep me then um so i did you know intramurals that fall as as a plebe and then went back you know still you know lifted and trained and my goal was to get to you know try again so at some point that winter of plebe year walked back up went walked to the stadium with uh i guess i guess we had cds back then for recruiting tapes i think we were just past the vhs's and uh and handed that in said hey this is me i'm interested in you know walking on if you guys will have me and I uh, got an email back a few days later saying, hey, yeah, we'd love to have you up for, you know, essentially spring ball tryout. And, uh, you know, the rest is history from there. So I went up, started working out with the team, did spring ball. And, then, you know, I guess they liked me enough because then, uh, you know, they never yeah, me well, out. Well, I remember, you know, you said you, you know, you had a lot of linebacker and tight end tape. But, mm-hmm. you know, by the time I got there, you were on the offensive side of the ball playing fullback. So how did that – where did that, uh, you know – one, you know, that's a position you didn't really play a lot. So how is that on your your psyche of, of going to fullback versus linebacker? Uh, it's literally the same position, just opposite sides of the ball. Right? The same so, thing. Just- <laughs> uh, same mentality, right? Um, yeah. But how, the, how did that uh, how did that go for you? It was it was good. Um, I did a little bit of fullback stuff in high school, so I was, I was you know, not unfamiliar with it. Um, when and it was just in, in that email that first like hey we want to bring you up it was as a fullback so we said hey you, i remember the email um i think it was one of the interns at the, one of the gas at the time sent it said hey we want to bring you up give you a tryout as a fullback and uh, so that's what they did so it was pretty natural yeah, like you said it's inside linebacker and fullback or the, the mirror of each other on, on offense what was the so um what what were you able? Do you remember your 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 height and weight when you tried out? Because I know that that freshman year, you know, especially going intramurals, you probably, you know, you probably went in, you know, pretty, you know, pretty well put together. And that beast, that beast will take thirty pounds off you easily. Sure. By that point, I was. I mean, I've always been five ten and change. Um, I, I, the program might say five eleven, but if I were being honest, it's it's a solid five ten. Um, that was probably two. I was, I was six. I was six one in high school, Chris. All right. Exactly. Yep. Yep. Same. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, yeah, and I was probably about somewhere between two fifteen, two twenty around yep. then, around that time. Um, but by the time I walked on there, so not yeah, not yeah. too far undersized, but you know, a little bit behind everybody else, but enough that uh, enough that they you know at least were interested in hanging on to me for a little bit. Yeah, we hear a lot. Um, actually, I used to hear a lot about those walk-on tryouts, right? And like that, getting the chance in the spring just to see. And there are some guys that have stuck in those walk-on tryouts. Um, 
I mean, this midseason was uh, John Abercrombie, the kicker, who really yeah. helped out. I mean, he came right from, you know, the sprint football team, and he was yeah. <laughs> earned a starting kicking job to, uh, by his senior year and was really solid, too. So, I mean, those uh, – I mean, they give you a number, right? I mean, you get a lock or two, I'm guessing, during tryouts, too, I'm guessing, right? Well, by that point – I'm trying to think back now. During the the beast tryouts or the, that summer, it was a one. It was a one off. We might have yeah. been. A, I don't remember, but there wasn't it. It was come up, work out in PTs, and then see you later. Um, when I came back on later, that was more of an individual thing. I, I'm not sure they were bringing on any. I don't think there was a formal tryout. That was just me walking up, handing them a tape, and saying, "Hey, I'm around here. I've been working out. If you guys, you know, well, you know, would take me." And I guess they liked that film enough that they, that I worked out with the team probably a week or two before spring ball started and then, uh, and then did spring ball. And then like I said, from there, you know, is it like each day you have to like, kind of um, what's the word I'm trying to say? Not, not verify, but earn your, earn your spot. So to speak, do you feel like it Chris was because sometimes, you know, you see guys are on the roster in the spring and they're, this is different um, regime with Munkin, but they're, you know, they're cuts after spring. And then here comes the freshman class, about 75 freshman class guys looking to earn a spot too. So did it feel like you had to earn your your way daily or now? I mean, as an athlete, for sure, around the other players and the guys were, you know, they're already on the team, for sure you feel that. But there was, as I recall, not a formal, uh, any, once they said come up and try it and, and, come up for spring ball and start working out and doing all that. I was on the team from there on out. Hmm. Nobody ever came back and said, Hey, we're going to keep you or we like this or not. That's just kind of, it just I went on from there. So it wasn't uh, at least back, you know, back then. Yeah. It wasn't that codified as to how they, how they did it. At least for me, it wasn't maybe for other people. It wasn't I can't, I can't speak to that. Chris, who was, um, who were some of the leaders at the time that kind of took you on the wing or, or how were you uh, received when you, you came to spring ball, um, I, I think that's a very interesting kind mm-hmm. of dynamic that you got to go through because, you know, you weren't on anybody, you know, you weren't on anybody's roster. Or you weren't on any depth chart. And then one day this, this name just shows up and you're like, oh, yeah, I've been here for a year. I'm, I'm, I'm on the team now. So I find that kind of interesting on how the how the fullback slash running back room received that. Um, and then who who are you know, who are your uh, – your mentors or who are your, the upperclassmen that, that took care of you? Yeah, that is, you know, that's, it's interesting. Um, everybody adjusted to it. Well, I mean, you know, it's West Point, you just weird things all the time. And all of a sudden this was the thing and it's, everybody, everybody kind of goes with it. I know, you know, I mean, Mike Vitti took me under his wing a bit and said, you know, help me out with some of the playbook stuff. And, um, you know, the older guys in the room, Carlton Jones, uh, Ricky Lay, Scott Wesley, you know, all, you know, everybody, you know, well, open arms. Um, you know, there was never any, never any like, oh, here, who's this walk on kid? You know, is just we all just kind of kept working from there. And then, you know, you start, you're doing, you know, you're lifting, uh, doing your lifts and your runs. And, you know, they kind of, you know, I remember, I think it was Ricky and RJ Bayless, I think, kind of like, you know, what the definition of finishing through the line changes in college. And, uh, once you learn that you kind of had your groups and you know they kind of you know helped me you know help me along there just you know this is push you know pushing you past what you think finishing is if that makes sense like you think you're pushing yourself but you know there's a next level and guys like that kind of help you get along to the next level there carlton jones being one of those uh, leaders in that room too 
during that time, Chris, the fullback was used a lot different, a little bit differently than it's used now, right? Very differently. Yeah, it was a Bobby yeah. Ross's pro style offense, right? It was. I think we had one play where the fullback got the ball. <laughs> now, <laughs> now I think we have one play where the fullback doesn't get the ball. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, my older brother uh, um, actually signed with Vanderbilt out of high school as a mm-hmm. as a fullback, as a traditional pro style fullback, um, and he spent one year at fullback in Vanderbilt, and he was like. I'm done blocking SEC linebackers. Like, <laughs> screw this. And he transferred to go be a, a linebacker uh, up in UMass. Uh, but mm-hmm. very, very, you know, you know, he went from a, you know, it, it, you know, Frederick County, you know, run, fullbacks, running backs. We all, you know, basically got the balls, you know, halves and halves or whatever. And uh, that was the type of fullback he was used to. But I, I'll, I'll never forget that quote. He was, he just said, "I got tired of blocking SEC linebackers uh, and not getting the ball." So. He went to go play linebacker at UMass and, um, you know, ended up going to a, a national championship game. But that was one of the funniest yeah. quotes, pro-style fullback, uh, you know, I got to hear. Yep, yeah, a lot of uh, a lot of ISO blocks. A lot of uh, – <laughs> a, lot, a, lot yeah, a lot of fullback dies without the ball. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> kicking, out, kicking out the 260-pound ends, you know, yep. or ISO blocking the 240-pound linebackers. Oh, yeah. Yep. <laughs> what what well, do you what, think – Go ahead, Steve. No, I'm good. You're good. Uh, I was just on that note when, um, so on that note, you go through that spring, you go through that, that season. Um, and now all of a sudden you're an upperclassman, right? Mm -hmm. So it's, you kind of had a short and underclassman period. And now, you know, you're as, at least when I got there, it was like the, the sophomore junior class were, especially that spring were really responsible for making sure that, the, the plebes or the freshmen got on board, like understood, you know, the mentality, you know, whether it was the shinebacker mentality in the linebacker room or whatever the, what did the running backs call themselves? Headbangers. Head, what was it? Headbangers. Headbangers. Yeah. I remember headbangers. That's right. <laughs> um, but like, you know, it's not just a, it's just not right. We didn't just come up with these names. There's, there's always a rhyme and reason behind it. And, and what it meant to be an Army football linebacker, an Army football running back, fullback, whatever. So um, what kind of role did you see, you know, or were you able to do when, you know, guys started looking to you for help with the playbook and and, and what they can do to, to be better? Yeah, just, you know, be on top of your stuff to begin with. Um, that way you can, you can help them. You know, but for the most part, it's uh, – when you're in camp, get the right place, right time. Make sure that your position group isn't the one holding everybody up and, you know, having guys late for meetings and all that. So that's, you know, that doesn't take a whole lot of football X's and O's just to, uh, you know, to get that on young guys. But then, you know, after that, you know, you help them as needed. It was, uh, you know, it's it's also pretty easy to keep the room going in the right direction when uh, when you got a guy like, you know, Mike Vitti leading your position that uh, it's uh, it makes, you know, pretty much everybody else's job easy getting those, keeping those younger guys in line. But uh yeah, we had good groups all through the years. That was never – I never really thought that was too much of a challenge. Everybody kind of, you know, everybody saw what we were doing and, you know, came along with us. Yeah, I always noticed when uh, that role started, you know, when I became a, a junior and try to help the freshman out. Or it was really just, you know, the the whole mindset of, like, leaving leaving what had happened previous – or whatever has happened previous at the day down at the, down at the core. Um, and focusing mm-hmm. on football. That was where I felt, you know, like you said, super, you had a military school, right? Be where you're supposed to be, what you're supposed to be wearing, 
you know, with what you need is pretty comes pretty, you know, natural to most of these guys. But the you know the mentality portion of of how you approach the game is where I thought I helped the most underclassmen as an upperclassman as far as hey, this is how your mind needs to be. This is what you need to be thinking about during warmups. This is what you need to be taking notes on during film, that kind of stuff versus the actual like, you know, uh, you know, helping them with X's and O's and stuff like that and where they need to be. Right. And that's what I and especially I see it now as a coach, too. But look, you look back then and I remember it as a player and it's funny to see now on this end of it that what they what coming out of high school, what you think hard work is. And what you think, whether it's studying the playbook or, you know, you're when you're lifting or at practice, film session, whatever that is, it's whatever you could be the hardest worker in high school and you're not. That's it. it rarely are you going to be walk in a room, position room, be the hardest worker there. Um, there's just another level. And you could legitimately be a very hard worker in high school. Like that's a, a, I'm not doubting anybody's definition of hard work, but it's just changes when you get to the college level. And uh and those things mean it, you know, has a little bit of different meaning to it. There's another depth to it that you, that honestly high schoolers shouldn't probably know, but that you kind of uncover, and that's kind of the upperclassmen's role to uh, help those guys stay in line and guide them into that next level of focus is really what it is: focus and consistency, um, you know, to succeed at the next level. Yeah, it, especially when you mentioned hard work, uh, you know, in high school, at least from you know. We, we have a pretty, you know, Damascus has a pretty successful high school program in Maryland. Um, and you think of hard work, right? And usually that means on the field or in the weight room, right? And then you get to the next level in college and there's three or four other layers of hard work that go into being ready to play on Saturdays, right? It's not just, you can't just dominate the weight room and dominate the playing field and think you're going to be ready on Saturdays because you got to dominate the tendencies you got to dominate the the film work of like what your opponent's doing it's a, it's and w- when you said you're the hardest worker in high school and you can't it, it's almost impossible to be the hardest worker at college because you just don't know how to work hard at that next level yet so i, I just when you said that that was the first thing that came to my mind sure and like you said you guys said when you have guys who are leading the team in the position room, like a Mike Vitti and guys, um, you know, I'm sure that that's around Jeremy Tremble's uh, time too. And you see those guys, the way they lead and the way, I mean, they see the game differently, right? I mean, they see the sure. game a little bit differently and that's certainly um, some things that you can certainly have picked up on. I'm, I'm imagining Chris during your time, right? Just those little things. And now you see him as a coach and now it's like, um, it's gotta be pretty special to see that, you know, from, what you saw your, your playing days. And now you're, you're leading, you know, young army football players who are going to come up to the big team. And there's a certain vision that you have that you're, you know, uh, also providing them, you know, getting them into, into their, you know, your, your, your vision, their vision, so to speak. So. Sure. Yeah. That's, uh, that's one of the problem. It is the most rewarding thing as a coach, when you see that light bulb start to click with the guys and you see them realize whether it's when you see that confidence come into their eyes of like, oh, I this when they get it and have the whether it's a, whether it's weight room or on the field. And when you see that light bulb click and kind of like, oh, I, I, I get it now or I just did something I've never done before um, that a year ago they never thought might be possible is uh, is 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 really is pretty awesome. 
Yeah, maybe we could uh, wrap up as far as your 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 uh, playing career at West Point and get into to to after West Point. What do you think? Um, what's a, what's a memory that you'll always um you'll you'll never forget about being on the Army football team? Uh, I mean, the the first one that comes to mind is you know the Mikey Miracle. That's uh, the in terms of when it comes to games, that one. I, honestly, the first thing that came to mind was just was just being with the guys, the, the team, the players. And, the, and the, the first thing when you said that was the meeting room and, you know, the guys that are still my best friends today, Mike, Mike Colin, uh, Rankowitz, you know, all those guys, um, you know, we're still, you know, exactly, we're still best friends today. Just being with them year in and day in and day out, year in and year out. Um, uh, it's funny, Steve, you know, it was talking about one of the first things when I came in as a walk-on. Dave Galbraith was one of the first guys that I saw in the locker room. I was like, wait, I remember you, another Maryland guy, because we went to a camp together. We met back then, and, you know, fast forward two years later, there we are in the locker room. Um, you know, and we're in each other's weddings with, you know, a number, a number of those guys. That was the case. You know, you just the time you spend with those guys, um, whether it be in the meeting rooms, in the weight room, on the field, in the locker room at Buckner and in, in, uh, studying, things like that. Um, that's that's the most rewarding thing. And the, and the relationships is really the big, you know, that's that's the overlying thing in terms of moments that stand out. Obviously, you know, you go to Mikey Miracle and stuff like that. Um, watching unfortunately watching you know reggie bush run by us a million times that 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 comes up there too but uh but um but yeah so but yeah like i said the relationships are the most the thing that stands out the most yeah i put the mikey miracle that was my first year covering the team and i was like yeah. that game was one of my top games i've ever seen at west point at mikey stadium <laughs> that game was crazy kevin dunn you know coming off the bench basically you know Mike Wright, we've talked about mm-hmm. it before, but to be on the field for that game must have been incredible because it was, you know, it, it didn't look like it was going to turn out to be a happy night, you know, and then no. one one guy, one play can kind of get it going, right? And then uh, right. then by the end of the night, you're celebrating and, you know, you think against a pretty, you know, Tulane team that had some some solid players on it too. It was, uh, Matt Forte, yeah, that was another one I remember seeing. <laughs> Stand on the sideline watching doing doing this watching Forte run by, and then uh, and then you know game you know unfolded as it did. That was pretty crazy. Yeah. We still have that actually in uh, in the prep school locker room. We have a, a a printout of a bunch of photos from that game. Wow! And it shows that you know the end zone shot of Mike's catch going out the back and all that stuff, and then the celebrations after that's still hanging down there. Very cool. Very cool. cool. Yeah. Um. So. After so after West his football career is over at West Point, then it's time to you know fulfill the um, military side of it, and maybe you could talk a little bit about um, you know what that was like for you. Yeah, so I branched engineers, um, went posted Fort Stewart, so uh, went to a combat engineer unit. So graduated, went to engineer. Well, we had Bullock; it was called Bullock Two back then. So I went to Fort Sill for that, and then went to Engineer Bullock, basic officer leader course out at Fort Leonard Wood, and then went to Ranger School after that, then Airborne School, then I showed up at Third Infantry Division down at Fort Stewart. Uh, within a couple of weeks, took a took a platoon, and um, yeah, guy was guy was uh, the former PL was leaving, going to Alaska if I recall. So I got platoon there, then we went right into the field training after that. We had gunnery, and then uh, what was it called Raider Focus. Gunnery, Raider Focus, NTC. So we were training that we deployed in December 2009. And, you know, as a, as a platoon leader. So 
that's that's the the quick you know chris what what unit was it that you went to be a pl at uh echo it was back then it was echo company 369 armor in okay. first brigade yeah yep so they're in bs bsdb now but we were in uh 369 back then yeah yeah i was uh i was in 164 armor as a right. uh, as a pl so down there at the rock of the marn trying to yeah. try to go back there as a as a field grade hopefully uh in the next couple of years so but when you um where where did you um where did you deploy to in december we went to iraq so we were and we split up a little bit so being engineers we did we our company was tasked with route clearance over there so we're actually two two platoons going into it and then in typical you know uh army fashion it, but just, you know, kind of circle back to team building and stuff like that. Right about a month before we deployed, they said, hey, we're taking a platoon of scouts and putting them with you guys. And you guys need to make a third route clearance platoon. So we ended up splitting my platoon in half. And they gave me a section of scouts, sent one of my squads over with the scout PL to become like a hybrid scout engineer platoon, two hybrid platoons there. And of course, you know, we couldn't have done that during NTC. They wanted to jump that on us right before we deployed, um, which and I'm not complaining about. It was it was it, it was they awesome guys and everybody jumped right in. And uh, so we met up in Kuwait and started training and, you know, went on from there. Like I said, we we're doing route clearance, which, you know, that's just driving around, <laughs> driving around really slow, looking for bombs. Um, unfortunately, we found there. <laughs> they found us most of the time. And uh, so and we were in like I said, we we're in Bag we we're in in and around Baghdad. So my platoon, we were split up. My platoon was right above Sadr City. Uh just but at that point it was the exclusion zone, so nobody's allowed in there. But we were right on the other side of it. It was my platoon, an infantry company, and we had a couple um there was a couple other small teams there with us, but it was about a five acre lot with uh with just us. They, this is at the point in this is 0910 going into this is OIF 0910. Um when the drawbacks starting. And so we had a you know, pretty much a battalion size, what used to be battalion sized area, with you know, occupied by a platoon and a, an infantry company and one platoon. Um, so that we were responsible for the route clearance in that area there. And then our other platoons were pieced out around, um, pieced out around perimeter of Baghdad. And then we kind of, they ended up moving around a bit um, as bases closed down. So my platoon closed down. It was called JSS Ur. Uh, we closed that down while we were there. Remember <laughs> dumping out sandbags and, and doing all that stuff to, to close it down in preparation for more, you know, more continual, continuing the drawback. How was the, how was the feeling of actually doing, you know, route clearance that the, the, the thing that you train to do, right? Like it's kind of like the off season to right. the in season is a lot of, a lot of, how a lot of players um, kind of describe it, uh, you know, train up training is the off season. And then you're in season when you get to go do it. What was that uh, actually like, as far as like you actually being on route clearance and, and doing the job that you signed up to do? Well, you, you said it, that's what it is. I mean, you know, people kind of look at society, I suppose, looks at deployment in a negative tone for obvious reasons. But the way that's that's the exact words that I've said many, many times was like, you know, how was it? Well, I was like, I was was, it was awesome because I was finally doing what I've trained at that point since, you know, we knew the deal going in in 04 as plebes. Like, so since then, this is what we've been training for. (laughs) So we're finally doing it. It, Was it a whole lot of fun? No, but (laughs) 
but at least this is what this is why we're here you know at our era of guys this is why we signed up we knew this was in the cards and um you know we're like you said the you, 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 you spoke that you know you're we were finally doing what we were we had trained so long to do and all those summer trainings and all those different things where it's like, well, one day when you're deployed, you're going to have to do this. Well, then we were doing it. So we finally, uh, you finally got to kind of fulfill that, um, that thing you've been waiting on for. So that apprehension you've been waiting on for so long. Now, Chris, I know a lot of people um, kind of know your, your story, but if you feel comfortable, um, you know, cause I, I got to, I got to see you up close um, at Walter Reed. Um, if you feel comfortable sharing anything about the, the story and your kind of your, your, your comeback kid to deadlifting 500 pounds again, you know, it's crazy watching those videos that you still get after it. Um, like that. So, um, yeah, sure. I'm a, yeah, I mean, and please don't hold back. I'm going to open book on this thing. I, I don't say I love talking about it, but I'm very open about it. If, if, if it's going to happen to me, I want, you know, at least other people to learn from it, or, uh, there's no reason to not talk about it in my book you know, on uh on every aspect of it good bad ugly uh the best of times and the worst of times but yeah so i got blown up um you know medical terms blown up on uh april 21st 2010 uh we get hit by an efp over in iraq that's when uh what we usually got hit by an efp is a it's called explosively formed projector uh projectile or penetrator and it's um essentially a shape charge like a coffee can um, I won't go into the details of exactly what EFP is here for you guys, but um, so yeah, it's like a big molten slug hit me. Uh, came through. We've been hit by him before, um, plenty of times, but this was the first injury. And like I said, it was April twenty first, two thousand ten. Driving down, ironically, the only road we hadn't been, yet been hit on, and it was ten, somewhere between ten and eleven o'clock at night. We only rolled at night, so, and. Uh, yeah, all of a sudden it felt like the world was shaking and felt like it felt like you were inside of a snow globe, really. Whole truck was truck was shaking and all that. Then it kind of settled, dust settled. And uh, I remember thinking like, oh, I guess this is what getting blown up feels like. So kind of did, you know, did a quick pat down, wiggle my fingers, wiggle my toes. All everything was there. So, so okay, I asked my guys, my driver said, I'm good. My our interpreter's in the back. He said, I'm good. My gunner's up top said, I'm good. Called it up just like we normally did. Said, "Hey, all right, we got a hit. Go ahead and secondary sweeps. Do all those things." And like I said, it was night, and we we're usually, you know, we we're lit up like a Christmas tree when we went out there because uh, this is exactly what we were looking for. Um, but with the blast like that, it's going to knock out all the lights. So knock out our lights and all the street lights around us. And so then it's pretty dark at that point. And I'm on the radio, still talking to hire, and my dry, I feel a tap on my shoulder, and my look over and kind of through the dark my driver's you know sitting you know next to me and he's holding a hand up pretty close to my face just enough that i could kind of see it's dark and and i could see it was blood i said i said is that yours or mine and he goes i don't know so we both kind of said okay hang on let's both start and we both start doing the kind of the pat down again and i don't know whose it was because we were both hit but i looked down and i saw a tear in my pant, like you kind of see the silhouette of my pant leg, uh, torn. And it, like I mentioned the FPs earlier. They don't, uh, it's like a rifle slug. They don't, they don't, when they hit things, it's bad. Usually they, um, it's like, like I said, it's getting hit by a big rifle slug versus an explosion where there's stuff going everywhere and shrapnel and all that. This is a very aimed 
aimed uh, device. So then I reached down and kind of felt the pant leg and kind of touched my knee and I could feel flesh and bone down there and thought, oh, well, okay, well, that's not good. And then my driver caught a little bit in, in his jaw and his tricep. So got back on the, uh, got back on the radio, said, hey, we got, you know, send Doc up. We got, you know, two injured, called it back to, um, I say headquarters, but it was the infantry company headquarters we were with. So, you know, we're reporting to multiple different uh, headquarters while we're, while we're on patrol. So my medic, Aaron Toplinski was a <laughs> rock star, came up, got us all patched up. It was, uh, it was tough to get my, my door was actually kind of blasted shut. Because those I, we were in a Max Pro Plus, and I don't know if you've been to one of those, but those doors are about what, 600 pounds and hydraulically operated, and it blew out the hydraulics. So we kind of had to, I had to lay on my side and kind of press this thing open just enough for uh, Topo to get in. You know, he got in, slapped a tourniquet on me, and uh, slapped a tourniquet on me, went, got my driver out of there. You know, I was laying there. I could, that's about when I could start feeling the bleeding when I was going to land there. Um, Oh, and I did breeze. I'm sorry. I breezed over one part of the whole getting blown up part. When at one point I remember thinking when everything was shaking, it feels like you're in a snow globe, you know, you kind of knocks the wind out of you a little bit. And I remember just thinking like, I wonder if I was like, this, is this what dying feels like? Cause all of a sudden everything kind of got dim. Um, and I kind of laugh at it now, but you, I don't know if you guys ever played call of duty. But like when you're playing, you know, and you, you know, you like you take a hit and kind of the edge of the screen gets kind of fuzzy. No shit. That's what it looked like, man. <laughs> that's what happened on my vision. I never played the game till then. But then years later, I was playing. I was like, wait a minute. That's, that's pretty accurate. <laughs> and uh, so so then going back there, I remember, you know, feeling the bleeding a little bit. But then, you know, like I said, uh, Topo patched me up really well. And that was the first time it really started to hurt. Like I said, I didn't know I was didn't know I was hurt still at that point hadn't felt any pain um so they got me in the other truck like i said i kind of had to climb out climb out of the busted door my guys are beneath me they grabbed me kind of put me on their shoulders carried me over to the uh our medevac vehicles our platoon sergeant's you know truck in the back we had a couple uh litters in that put me on there uh medic started stuff and trying to stop the bleeding and uh you know i guess it was a lot of blood so he was stuffing it for a while. That's when I first started feeling the pain when he was just kind of shoving gauze up in there to try and get it slowed down. Um, and it was funny because at the time they didn't. At the time, you know, you're you, you're a competitive guy. You're an athlete. You want to be a leader. So even in that moment, you're you're trying to be relevant. And I remember laying there being like, trying to get somebody give me a radio. Somebody, you know, trying to do something. <laughs> And, and my, to my guys' credit, they entertained it for a little while. They had, they had it. They, they were rock stars. They uh, had everything under control. But I remember at some point, just thinking to myself, like, man, they don't need me to say anything. Just fucking, I was like, just lay here. Sorry, I don't know if I can cuss on your podcast. Um, but I was like, just, I could tell they were all sitting there, just being like, man, just lay there and shut up. Like, we got this, and they did. Um, so they got me out of there, and I met it back out and all that stuff. But. Uh, but yeah, that was a pretty wild night. It took it took a while, it took a while. But then it got got me out of there, got me down to Baghdad, and uh, you know a couple surgeries there, and then and then the the return return home recovery piece started after that. But uh, but yeah, I can't say enough about those guys that night. They were you know you always as a as a coach as a leader as anything you when you're doing training you it, 
you're always looking at it as in a critical eye and you're always worried about like, okay, are we really going to be able to, is it going to be okay when we do this for real, whether it's a game or whatever, is our game plan really going to work? But at some point, you know, you kind of just got to trust it. And did, did that night ever prove that for me? Cause that I remember having those days in training where you're looking, you're like, oh, I really hope if, if, you know, shit really hits the fan here, we'll be okay. And, and, <laughs> and were we ever like those guys, you know, like I said, they knocked out of the park. It was, it was automatic for them. Um, you know, Topo patched me up and the other guys, you know, did, did everything else we needed to get, get us out of there safe. Yeah. It so. was, um, I guess you got to, you must have been at Walter Reed, what, by May or June? Uh, it was April 27th. I got back 27th or 28th. Oh, wow. I got you back quick. Yeah. Cause it was a week. It was about a week. So 21st, I got hit. I want to say it was the 28th. Cause I want to I remember being, it being a week. Um, a couple surgeries in, in Baghdad there, a couple in Balad, a couple in, uh, I went, uh, Ramstein or Launch No, sorry, Launch Tool. A couple in Launch Tool. And then, uh, then back to Walter Reed on the twenty eighth. Yeah. What was and the yeah, we, um, what What was the extent of the damage on the knee, Chris? So it hit um, the the piece that hit me. Actually, I thought thought this might come up, and so they this, <laughs> <laughs> so this is what they pulled out of me. Wow. Um, so it hit me pretty much right in the middle of the knee, and it shattered my kneecap, uh, shattered my kneecap, broke my femur, fibula. Uh, split my tibia like vertically, like a piece of wood, split it down the middle, um, blew out my popliteal artery and, you know, a bunch of other damage around that. But that was the gist of it. I got a little bit in my finger, too. That was a cute little cut. Um, but that's the bulk of it there. Yeah. And then the big I, um, I remember um, I remember coming to visit you and I had just gotten I just had. ACL reconstructive surgery, right? I had that in December. And um, Colonel Polka, you remember Colonel Polka, mm-hmm. obviously. Um, dad away from home, right? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> um, he had, he had, he called me because, uh, you know, I was, I was, I was on leave. I took medical leave to recover. So I was in Maryland and he had called me and he was like, Steve, you know, Chris is at Walter Reed. And he gave me a very shorter version uh, of that. Um, and I, you know, got to bring you a home cooked meal. Got to bring you some cookies. You know, I uh, got a ticket on the way there for speeding because I was. Did you so really? Yeah, I was so. Well, I didn't. Well, well, I didn't really get a ticket. I got pulled over. I was so <laughs> anxious on seeing you, uh, and like you know, I don't know, kind of like you know, seeing a big brother, you know, mm-hmm. and and your situation. I was like anxious, uh, nervous, and didn't know what to expect. So I was like speeding, and. Uh, the guy pulls me over and I like give him my, my cadet military ID and I, I tell him, you know, what's going on. He's like, look, man, just don't speed, go see your, go see your brother. And, uh, and he was, uh, he, he had served, he prior service guy. So, um, super understanding, but I, um, but yeah, I, I guess I never did tell you that, but I think it pulled over. Yeah. I was going, uh, I think I was going 88 and a 65. <laughs> so I was, I was cruising <laughs> in the, the old pathfinder, but, yeah, um, I'll never forget. Let's see. So you was that? It had to have been that next season. You were up at West Point again, right? Yeah, I came. Well, I came up that fall for the Air yeah. Force. Yeah, yeah. So you came up that fall, yeah. and I just, remember because you know, weekend. just that weekend. Um, I had some, I had some, um, some bad uh, tendonitis in my knee for from the the patella surgery to reconstruct mm-hmm. my ACL. 
And, you know, Colonel Polka's had like – he's had like, you know, six or seven knee surgeries too because his knees are done from jumping and everything. Yeah. And I'll never forget – we're standing, we're, we're on the field and he, and he comes in. I'm like, uh, he's asking me how my knee's doing. I'm like, it's good. He's like, you know, Steve, I was, my knee hurt earlier today and I got to see Chris and I just remember thinking my knee's doing just fine, <laughs> <laughs> you know? So, uh, but you, you know, um, like you say, you're very open about it. Um, and you want people, you know, if you can help anybody or, or to, mm-hmm. if anybody can learn anything from your story, um the and, and your comeback from that injury um to what you're able to do now is incredible and uh, we'll get into that once you once we start talking about what you're able to do on the as a as a football coach for army football but definitely a um you know motivating and inspiring person you know as a as a younger guy um seeing you go through that and what you've done uh you know uh just you know that 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 was my senior year and I had a little tendonitis in my knee, and I was like, nah, I'm good. I'm, I'm, I'll be all right. Yeah. Well, I always thought that was a cool uh, kind of full circle deal where I guess I was one of, you know, I, I remember meeting you when you were either a recruit or on plebe. I can't remember. I, I mean, I remember from back in high school. But yeah, then, we, we I, met I uh, uh, I, I, the, the first time I remember, well, well, as I look back at, you know, after I met you and after I learned you played for Middletown, I went back and looked at film, uh, and I was like, oh, yeah, there's, there's Chris yeah. there on the field. Um, but we, I met you in the Kimsey Center upstairs, uh, where yeah. where you know, and that's where I first met you from Middletown and, and stuff like that. So that was like the the beginning of um, our relationship, uh, yeah. sort of speak. And I, and I always thought that was kind of a cool full circle thing. How that you know, I was the first guy you met up there, and then you were the first guy from from West Point or from Army football, anybody really to come and outside of my direct family and uh, and Stacy to uh, to come visit me in the hospital. So that was kind of a cool. Uh, you know, I was thought that was a cool kind of full circle thing there. Absolutely, Chris. What do you think like keeps you like motivated through the the rehab of um, suffering something that you know that dramatic? Just uh, being. Well, I, I, I'm going to say this with a caveat because the the beginning of it is 100 percent not true. Was being realistic about it because uh, at first it was not. I it was. You know, you, you you get hurt just like in just like on the field. You don't want to. No, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm good. I'm good. Don't worry about it. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, and, I was, and I was doing that the whole time. <laughs> and it didn't uh, it didn't hit me uh, until we got back to uh, to Ur that the, our our head medic who was back there. He uh, I remember he looked down at me and he was like, well, enjoy enjoy, uh, enjoy a cold one back back home for us. And I looked at him. I said, well, I was like, is it that bad? And he said, yeah, it is like, you know, you're going home. And that was that was the worst part for me of the whole thing, honestly, way worse than any of the pain or anything like that. It was just realizing that my time as a PL was was over and I had to leave my guys. And that was just by far the worst thing. Um, so so then fast forward to, you know, to your to your question, Sal, was just it, one, I was blessed to one, have a great support network around me. You know, I'm from Maryland, so it's an easy, easy poke for my family and, uh, and Stacy, who's my now my wife. Um, girlfriend at the time, so it's easy put for them to come down and, uh, and visit and family, friends, everybody. I was there with, unfortunately, a few of my classmates and had some other friends there. And we were, you know, mid 20s at our time when you're kind of, you know, full of piss and vinegar and ready to take on the world. And we kind of took that same attitude into our, our rehab and our training and everything from there. Um, I was just, my mentality for it was always just, 
okay, this is the situation I'm in. What's next? I'm not going to be in this bed forever. So I need to do something, something to get out of it. So what's the only thing I can do? And at the time when the option, when the answer is zero, okay, when <laughs> you got to wait till the answer is one. And then if it's, uh, if it's laying there in bed, you know, doing a little bit of rehab when they come in, then you do that 20 minutes of rehab and let them crank on your leg or whatever the next thing is, or whatever the next surgery is, or whatever that is, you take that. And that's the only thing I can focus on because everything else in my life has been taken away. So I got to do the best at that. Um, and then just you keep pushing that envelope as you're allowed to do more things. You know, I remember laying there with a, uh, you know, I, you could probably buy it at Walmart. I don't know. One of those like air compressing, uh, multi-gym things that they probably is on probably on an infomercial that uh <laughs> that you can do pulls and pushes and all sorts of weird stuff with and laying there in a bed you know just trying to move that thing best i could with you know using little hand grippers just doing something to uh feel productive there and just you know just kind of that what's next what's next mentality was kind of my was where, where i kind of went with that just, um you know you hear a lot of people talk about small victories right uh, cause like you said, I mean, as a guy who's attacked everything his entire life and then you're told, Hey, just, just sit here, relax. We'll, we'll come and talk to you in about two months before you can start doing stuff. You're just like, okay, well, you know, <laughs> I got the, I got the hospital TV. I'm going to order the, I'm going to order the grippies. I'm going to, I'm going to have the strongest yeah. forearms in, uh, <laughs> in America in about two months. So, yep. uh, it's pretty cool that, uh, you know, it, you, you talk about it as, you know, it, that the athlete does not change, right? The athlete mentality does not change. Um, and that, I mean, and that's why, you know, you're, you're where you're at. You are now, Chris. I mean, you're, you're, you're deadlifting, you're squatting, you're doing everything that you did prior to. And, you know, I mean, I've seen some pretty heavy lifts uh, from you and it's, uh it's incredible, man. And it's like, you know, that, the you know i had ben kawika as a coach at prep school right very intense guy um awesome awesome mentor um and he he told us some you know he told us some some stories um about being an apache helicopter pilot and it's like you know the the biggest thing that you do for those guys man it's like look are you really are you really gonna cut a workout short today right or are you not gonna give it your all today um, when they see a guy like you in there, it's like, man, the, I cannot, the motivation and inspiration, um, is just gotta be ridiculous. And it's all it would take, all it would take for me is a look from you one time, just a look like, uh, -huh. yeah, I saw that. I saw that rep and you're just like, ah, oh, God, all right, I'm done. I gotta do it again. <laughs> it all just boils back to be, be, being, being, uh, I, I want to say athlete, but that's a little, a little generous term for my, for me. So, but I'll, so I'll say meathead, uh, being a meathead, being a competitor, uh, just somebody, you know, who, you know, I think that's kind of just how you have to look at things. Um, I remember, and like I said, being realistic with the whole thing. I remember at one point that one of the doctors came in and they're, this is a couple weeks in, maybe, I don't know, two weeks in, three weeks in, something like that, that, you know, doctors, they're very hesitant to give you a prognosis or like to really say like, okay, what's the long-term thing here? Cause there's so many variables. Um, and because there are so many variables. So at some, at one point, one of the doctors came in and said, well, you know, you probably won't because they knew I, I lifted weights and, uh, you know, did all that. And I enjoyed that back then. And he said, well, you'll, you'll, well, I'm trying to remember exactly how he said it. I think it was to the effect of, you're always going to walk with a limp 
and you'll probably never squat again. I think it was that it was probably you you won't be able to squat again and you'll always walk with a limp. Um, Paraphrasing more or less is what he said. And this we had already talked about kind of what the plan was going forward, kind of putting Humpty Dumpty back together here. And I said, well, if everything's there, like you're telling me we can put these bones back together, we can put the ten, we can put a tendon back in there, we can we can fix these things. Why? I said, if these if these like what makes you say that if the parts are there like me as you know as a my engineering i'm you know i majored in engineering here too so i understand like structures and uh like how a bridge works and stuff like that so i was like okay you're telling me the support structures are here why would i not be able to do this then and he just uh and he said well you know and he said we hope you can we hope that's that's the case um but typically just with the amount of trauma that you've been through you know that doesn't you know normally doesn't lead to that um and I, remember, and I remember saying, well, sir, respectfully, screw that. Um, I'm going to do this. And uh, so that kind of led to, you know, if I could do it, I would, I would, you know, um, it didn't, if it didn't hurt, if it wasn't damaging anything, and I was asked, you know, I, I did try to do it the smartest way I could, you know, and I was asked the doctors, asked physical therapists, hey, can I do this? Yeah, sure. Go ahead. Try it out. It feels good to do it. Okay. What's the, uh, do something else. Can I do this? Mm, sure. You know, and I was lucky to have, you know, great doctors, like I said, to put Humpty Dumpty back together and uh, great physical therapists and everybody helping out along the way that, you know, pushed me and allowed me to push, push with me uh, is I guess the best way I can do it. Everybody was full steam ahead for, uh, however, we were all ambitious um, for the recovery process. And that was, uh, you know, I couldn't have done it without the support of all those people. So Chris, we, we mentioned it earlier, you, you end up back at West Point that fall to, I'm assuming it's to, to get looked at, right? You're, or did you just you just come up there for a game or, or what? Yeah, just came up for the Air Force game. Um, there was a uh, Colonel Jim Wartsky's class of 82. He was down working at Walter Reed while I was there. It was, it was myself, uh, a couple other classmates uh, that, yeah, a couple of classmates, a couple I went to range school with and all that, that he said, hey, let's all, so we kind of had our own little, you know, those were my buddies that I hung out with down there. We would, you know, go to rehab together and then we'd go, you know, um, you know, go to get dinner and we, we hung out a little time and right. Uh, anybody with the worst, anybody with a less worse injury than you had a paper cut. So if, you know, <laughs> if, uh, so to me, I was one of the softest ones there cause I still had my leg. So everybody right. said I had a paper cut. And then if you, uh, uh if you were uh, below the knee amputee, anybody with above the knee amputee said, you just have a paper cut. Um, so you, that uh that drive and that you know kind of competitive thing kind of kept uh it was a good you gotta you know you gotta laugh at it you gotta have a a dark sense of humor about the whole thing um actually it was my buddy Harper harpalani i knew he was on his way there when i was in the hospital i remember going into a surgery i had heard he was on his way that he got blown up and he was on his way i remember going into a surgery and i was at that like I was prepped for it. Like they gave me like the cocktail. I wasn't out yet. I wasn't in the operating room, but I was in the first room that you go in and they just get you ready for it and kind of give you the, the cocktail to kind of get you ready to go under. I remember getting wheeled out and hearing a voice from the other side of the, uh, from the screen. And, I, and, and it was, it was Harp. And I was like, Harp, is that you? Chris, is that you? I'm like, all right, I'll see you later, bro. All right, see you later. <laughs> and it was, um, you know, last time I saw him was Ranger School before that. And then, uh, so, you know, you go through all those, you gotta have a, you know, uh, uh, kind of a dark humor about it. If you're going through, you know, 25 surgeries and all these different things 
of, of uh, doing that. So having those guys was huge. But to answer your question, going back that fall was us, that the Walter Reed crew of, of West Pointers that were there. We took a trip up that weekend uh, to see the Air Force game. Yeah, it was, um, but I mean, I, I mean, you were, you were what, a, a prep school coach within the year, right? So at least you were, a, at yeah, least you was, were up there uh, the helping out fall. with the team. It was the next fall, right? Yeah. So during that time, I'm trying to remember, put it in, in timeline order now. So yeah, that was that Air Force weekend. That following summer, I came back up there to do my rehab. It was Coach Ellerson said, hey, you know, if we can make this work logistically, would you want to be interested in this um, to help us out while doing your rehab? You know, I can't I wasn't ready to go back to the Army yet. West West Point had at the time it was called a WTU Warrior Transition Unit that put broke guys like me in a kind of a holding holding company while you were doing your uh, rehab. So he said, you want to come help us out while you're doing that. So I PCS up here that next summer and, and uh, some late summer of 11. And so I was assigned to the WTU here and I would do my rehab and do all that stuff. And then when I was done with that, I would, you know, get, I would get my treatment and do my rehab with Keller and Arvin do all those things. Then when I was done with that, I'd come over to the prep school and help out in the afternoon with the team. Yeah. Cause I remember uh, we try to work the whole, like me being a December grad, uh, right. help out with the team, and I got to I got to coach a little bit with you, but ultimately West Point was like, hey, he's still cadet. Like we can't have cadet and cadet candidates. Right. Um, you know, you know, even though it was just literally practice, but um, <laughs> I, yeah, I know, yeah, that was. So that I got was I got kind of yeah. caught up in in that mix, and then you know, I honestly I didn't want to go back to the football team because you know they had the new voice and. I had kind of a loud voice, so I just kind of wanted to, like, you know, step away, give it to Erzinger and and, and the guys, and um, so went on to be a team handball champion, you know. Instead, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I remember. I remember. I mean, it was. It seemed like I remember seeing you at the Air Force game um, afterwards, and then um, I remember that next year, my December grad year, I, I helped out with the prep school, and you were there. Um, so it was, um, you know, essentially, you know, you you've been there for you know, 11 years now, Chris. Since then, yeah. So I was there, like I said, undergoing, uh, I had, did I have a surgery while I was up there? I don't remember. But it was, you know, I'm doing my rehab, my treatments and all those different things, taking a couple trips down to Walter Reed to keep getting stuff checked out. I think I was done with surgeries by then, but I would still go down for the ortho to check up and do all those things. Ended up going through a, uh, the med board process and, and so that took, you know, another six months or so. So that was about two seasons that I was there uh, when I was still active duty. Ended up at the end of the med board process. Uh, I planned on appealing it and trying to stay in. Um, but after all that, I ended up, you know, deciding to, to take, you know, go ahead and not appeal it and, and get out. At the, and then at, at the time, there was an opening at the prep school and uh, coming out at the time said hey if you're getting out can i hire you on a civilian i said let's let's look into it sure i'm all about it yeah. <laughs> so uh so yeah we jumped on it and looked out um and you know haven't looked back yeah the um i'd have to imagine you know you've definitely got you're probably the 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 most longevity right up there up there yeah. in terms of the whole the program yeah 
Oh, at the prep it, school for sure. Yeah, I mean, there's yeah. a couple of teachers there that have been there for a long time. Yeah, yeah. But, um, but I'm certainly getting up there. So, how exactly has the um, what's what's changed from when you first started? Obviously, not including like the whole coaching staff change, but like as far as like what structurally, you know, for for football players or, or athletes specifically, or at the prep school in general. You know that 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 first year, 2011 was the first year I was up at West Point. So that's all you know as a coach is is been up at the the academy. So how, how has it gotten better? How's how has it changed uh, over the years? I'm trying to think which way to attack because I mean there's a handful of things that have changed. Obviously that first year was was interesting. I was telling somebody else about that the other day. Only about half the school was finished. So we had to, they bus down every morning to uh, West Point to take their classes in, in, I think, Cullum Hall or something. And then the teams would go, we didn't have a gym. So the teams would lift weights at the MWR here and uh, everything we practiced on a soccer field. And, um, it, you know, so no, our locker room was in the, you know, on a concrete pad in the back with a, with a roof over it there. Uh, it was very unfinished product that first year. And it's uh, everything's, gotten better since then uh they finished off the rest of the school that year and then you know it, it's all just one big building now with the classrooms and weight room and basketball court and they you know turfed that uh, the bubble out back so we have a good pretty nice setup now um so in terms of obviously the facilities have finished gotten better we just you know got a new we actually just got a new football field this year they just returfed it um it's got a new weight room this year so everything's been great sornex really hooked us up with that so in terms of that stuff, everything's equipment wise, you know, we've made a lot of progress over the years, uh, just got a supplement budget, you know, from uh, gift funds, all that stuff that, that so that's been a huge improvement for us at prep school locally. Um, that's all locally on a big scale of things. The, the one of the biggest changes, I think, on the grander West Point scale would be, you know, we've done summers are the summers have way changed since we were here and we I mean, i at least since I was here, I'm sure that and it was similar for you, you know, CC or CFT Buckner was eight weeks back then. You're in the, in the field all fall. Now everything's front for certain, you know, for football, everything's front loaded. So they do, they still, they're still doing all that training. They're just getting it out. They're done. All, you know, they're getting it done now uh, versus being there all uh, being out in the field all summer. So they're going to finish that up and then go into, um, go into staff, get some classes out of the way and, uh, get some classes out of the way to lighten the load in the fall and then train. They're there all summer. Whereas, we, you know, we used to have a couple weeks off at a time here and there. They, they don't have that anymore. Um, so, they, so you know, that's one of the bigger things that's changed there. Yeah. I feel like that's more um, – I feel like it's more realistic to other football programs, though. Very um, much. We, we were way behind the schedule. When we yeah. Like, that. I remember – you know, I used to go on leave for like 30 days in the summer. Sometimes if like, if I didn't get the Myad I wanted or the, the, you know, you know, you always had to do your military, your Myad or whatever. And then you always had Piad, um, or you did a stap, you know, you did a stap class, you know, I had full summers there. Right. Um, but I remember there was a couple years there where I went home for 30 days and I just trained at, at, at the house. Um, yeah. you know, just like I did in high school. Um, and I just, I always, I always, you know, I'd ask my other buddies who were playing ball at other colleges, like, nah, man, we're here all summer. I was like, yeah. well, all right, well, I'm not. And, uh, <laughs> but I, I, I think that, uh, obviously, um, you know, it, it's still, 
you know, I love the fact that we're still getting everything knocked out that's necessary in order to graduate. We're just, you know, it, it looks a little different. Um, and it, it helps everybody out. I mean, it, you know, and Chris, you, you see it, you know, you got to see it better than anyone. West Point's a great place when Army's winning. <laughs> it's, <laughs> a, it it's a much is. better place to be when Army's winning. It's, it was, it was, it was, yeah, that was kind of a foreign concept compared to when we were here or when I was here, at least you guys had some success. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, I remember even coming to uh, that first year coaching at prep, we beat Navy and I just remember standing on the field crying because that was just a feeling I've never even come close to feeling. And, uh, and then, yeah, luckily you know, everything's only gotten better since, uh, since then. Yeah. yeah, I guess, Chris. So a lot of people talk about your impact, um, that have gone through the prep school that went up to the big team. John Voigt was one of them that was on our podcast talking about your impact and how, I mean, you, you guys have really stayed close to that. How much of um, of your job? Yeah. Your job is to get them in the weight room, right? Yeah. Your job is to teach them X's and O's too, but also how about that relationship building that you, that starts kind of at the prep school and then works that culture, so to speak, that starts at the prep school and works itself up to uh, West Point. Yeah, that's, I mean, yeah, I, I think I mentioned it before. That's one of, that's the most rewarding part when, or the other, I guess, most rewarding part about it is, is seeing them, seeing them grow up. You know, it's like you got, you got like I had kids before I had kids, um, but they're not, you know, they're not kids. They're like little brothers that uh, are grown up and are grown men now. Um, the winds are, like I said, you know, being Navy, you know, the winds are great, but the probably the most humbling thing is, you know, I, when they asked me to, you know, I've, I've commissioned a few of them. Um, you know, when they start having kids and they call stuff like that is, you know, that's, that, I think that's when we talk about culture, what I believe, what really sets us apart as an army football, regardless of through the decades is what we do after, you know, um, and you get at the core of it while we're here, we're a college football team. You know, there's a lot, there's a lot of those out there. What, what makes us different when, when I think a lot of, you know, the, to what makes our brotherhood different and truly makes it that is, is we're all going in the same direction after. And it's, it, it's way more important. I, I guess I'll, I don't know if that's the word, the right word, but what you do after carries as much weight or more weight than what you do while you're on the team. Um, how you, your service in the army, not just your service, but your reputation of what you do um, post after the playing years is uh is kind of that standard we hold ourselves to that you know we you know other other teams might meet up at a five-year reunion 10-year reunion we yeah, we meet up and for us iraq and afghanistan you know i was running into teammates uh in, in while i was in iraq all all on my way there when i got blown up uh Dion tarver was on brigade headquarters he took the call um you know like said steve's first guy to come visit me in the hospital um and then there's other teammates that had worked at the hospital that I was at, other guys that were in Iraq with me. My old roommate was in Iraq with me uh, and teammate. And uh, I think that's what really kind of sets us, sets our, sets us, our brotherhood apart from others. And what kind of drives our culture is that, is that, um, that group, um, what, what, what the right word for it is there, but you know, what I just said, that, that we're, we're all going in the same direction. We know the reality of what, where we're all going. Yeah, I think I think, and uh, you know, I just got done going to a, a couple weddings back to back uh, in May, Chris, and I hadn't seen some of those guys in 
seven, eight years. Talked to him, but I hadn't actually, you know, physically met up with him. And as soon as I see him, I mean, it's like I just saw them, you know, two mm-hmm. weeks ago. Uh, you know what I mean? I think that's what um, is the most special thing about the brotherhood is, you know, you know, I haven't seen you in a while, but we're talking like, you know, we, we ain't, we're not missing a beat. If I come up to West Point and see you, we're not going to miss a beat. It's just we you, you just pick up right where you left off, um, yeah. and it's it's really it's it's unless unless you have actually experienced it, you just don't you can't really describe it to the people that don't have this kind of this kind of bond because it's it's more than a relationship; it's a bond. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just great to you know one we've got someone like you at the prep school. Um, I'm sure the athletes that have come in have changed a little bit uh, since they've been there. Um, and, uh, you know, you're definitely, you know, there's a reason why you've been there for 11 years because you're the right guy for the job um, and you have a, a great impact on on these young men. I appreciate it. But then to sound a circle back to your original question there, yeah, that's the rewarding part is that, like knowing what we've gone through, what I went through with my teammates and where we all went, and I, that that bond is still there with my current players now. And as they get on, as I watch them grow up, get older, commission, get married, have kids they're, you know, you know, it's in, in part of the long gray line and it's, it's, it's not just uh, going going off doing your own thing. It's um, there's a known, there's a shared, uh, a shared history and just a shared um, line of what we all do. And that just, just, just makes those binds as a coach that much deeper. You got that weight room. I mean, we see like the Coach Munkin videos of the of the big team. You know, you got that weight room pretty uh, pumped up and re- ready to go down at prep, right? Some of the stuff you guys are doing is absolutely incredible. What you see the growth, and you can post the um, a player, you know, what he's squatting or what he's working out, and you see some of the the videos that you post. You can see him increasing the weight and just. I mean, how much? Um, I know that you you've been in charge of the weight room for a while there at West Point from the I mean at Army Prep from the start, right? I mean, what what's that environment like for you? It's awesome. It's so much fun, um, and I'm I'm spoiled. <laughs> I'm spoiled because you know we I'm I get a bunch of 17, 18 year olds, and you know you could stick them in a weight room and just close the doors, and they're going to get stronger. They're at the they're their prime of their life. Um, to uh for that but it's been but it's a blast seeing them develop over the year and uh and the, the, like i mentioned earlier when when a guy looks looks at finishes a set and stands and goes coach that used to be my max and he just did it for five or six um that's it's cool because you see just kind of it unlocks something and i'm like i just did something that i i didn't know how to do before or i never thought i never envisioned myself doing and all of a sudden here i am a year later um you, you know, start uh Chris, we need to start posting uh, first squat max versus end of year squat max side by side each other. <laughs> well, one of the coolest, you know, I don't really put it out there unless the guys want to. One of the coolest things we do is we'll do a we do do a before and after photo. Um, I used to do that with numbers, but then that's a little skewed, you know, because they're coming out of CCBT, which isn't fair to test them then and then. Just, hey, you know, hey, I I like it. <laughs> I like seeing those numbers, man. But. Uh, at the end of the year, we, we what we will do during uh, their summer training is do a kind of a you know NFL combine profile picture, Hell and yeah. then we'll we'll take one after we test at the end of the year too. So you'll see their before and afters, and uh, a lot of them are, are pretty cool to watch. You know, see, awesome. see guy put on 30, 40 pounds throughout a year. 
It's pretty. Yeah, it's pretty neat. That's that's sweet. You look at the. Like, gonna, that, that's such a funny picture to have too. It's like the. It's like the Tom Brady photo. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> well, I got to be careful because uh, if I open my iPad at the wrong spot or around the wrong people, and I just got a bunch of shirtless play- players on my on my <laughs> on my iPad. <laughs> Shit. What, what a big difference, right? Because even at West Point, from your freshman to sophomore year, that that offseason in between, you see the growth of players. And I'm sure when you're seeing got kids come in, like you say, 17 years old, and they're like, they're still kids to a point, but then they kind of leave in like almost like men, right? So it, it's it's crazy to see the difference in in, in a, that a year does that a year does for them, and especially when I told them beginning of the year, like <laughs> the hardest thing I think as a college athlete is to be con- is consistency. It's, uh, you know, we talk about all the hard work and work at the next level, but if you can just, that'll come like, that's never, that's not going to go right away, but if you can just show up and do the work that you're being asked to do, it's shocking what'll happen. If you can, you know, handle your other stuff outside of, outside of the football team or the weight room, pastor classes, (laughs) don't get in trouble, show up on time for things. That way it doesn't detract from, uh, you know, from your development, um, it, it's shocking how much uh, they can develop it. You know, yeah, and I, I think the coolest thing, Chris, is um, a lot of these guys might have lifted weights in, in high school or done, you know, done, uh, what do you call it? You know, done workouts or whatever. But um, the cool thing is the program, right? And that's what, that's why I try to stress to, to you know, even on active duty as like when I was a commander, now that I'm in an SFAB team leader, like we don't just work out in the army, right? Everything is a program. There's a goal. There's something you want to do. Now you could have three different goals, right? You want to run a five mile in 40 minutes. You want to run a 12 mile, uh, ruck in three hours and you want to get a five fifty on the ACFT or whatever. Right. And then you can create a program that helps you get there. That's the coolest thing about these. The kids is literally look, show up, do this sheet. Okay. And I promise you the, the, the science is already there. Everything's already good. I know it might not make sense to you why you're doing, you know, four sets of 10 or, or 10, eight, six, four, two, or whatever it is. Okay. Mm-hmm. But trust me, you know, we'll, we'll get there in, in the program work. So that's, it's really, um, it, that's, that's the coolest thing about, you know, what I always enjoyed about showing up to army football weight room is all right, what's on my sheet, baby. That's all I, I know I'm taking care of. All I got to do is this. And I, and, you know, now that I'm older, I, I get into programming a little bit. I had a had a battalion commander that was huge into programming, um, and I got to take some courses and stuff. So I'm doing my own kind of programming, but uh, it, it, it's one of my favorite things that, to, to show up to the weight room, get my booklet, see, my, see what I have to do, and know that all the science is already taken out of it. If I do this, I'm good. And then there's always time for arms and abs afterwards. Yeah, and, and then it's fun. You know what's in it, one of the one of the challenges, you know, with being at the prep school and just having them for a year, is yeah, you don't have that upper class kind of to crack them in line sometimes. So you you kind of have to build a you have to you have to earn their trust based on really nothing <laughs> of uh, other than just saying, hey, trust me, this is going to work for you. Do this card, um, but you, but when you see the development when they when they start seeing that return that return on their investment there when they start seeing oh wow I'm moving a lot more weight than I used to oh that really did work. Then it gets real fun because then they don't stress about 
um, you know, because they're young and they just, every young kid wants to max out every day and do all that. Once they kind of trust the process, they can have fun in other ways. You know, they'll come in and we had a bunch of guys this year. They every every team lift, they'd come in and they used all the chalk in the weight room and they would like paint their eyes with chalk and they would, you know, shirt would be covered in it and just hooting and hollering and just having a blast. Um, and it's just, it makes your job so easy. It makes my job so easy when they're coming and all I got to do is it, talk, talk to the technical part and say, all right, let's, let's go to town first set, ready to go. And, uh, and they're just attacking it. Um, it, you just see the, uh, the, it, it's that much more effective and they have so much more fun doing it. And it's so much more fun to coach. So yeah. it's, yeah, they make it easy on me. Well, the success that they're having in the weight room, right. That will help them out when they get to the big team. And also, I mean, you look at a big part of army success in Jeff Mocanera has been, the um i guess the pipeline from the prep school to the big team right there's been so many guys that have been contributors that needed that extra year. steve right you went through you need that extra year to mature or maybe uh become a become learn the game a little bit better i hear some guys that don't say i don't even know how to play you heard caleb campbell saying he didn't even know how to play football really you know and you and you get um i guess you get that experience under your belt from the prep school and that chris that's you can't really understate the importance that you and the staff there have had on this success, because I think like I was going to say strength and conditioning coaches are kind of the unsung heroes of a program. Right. And I think that, you know, you guys at the army prep are, are, are right there with just being, have a lot of responsibility of what the success that's happened at West point. I appreciate that. Yeah. We, you know, take, taking my uh, cues from, from coach Hughes, he's got a great program going there and uh, I'm just trying to emulate that best I can down there. And uh, like I said, we got, the kid, like I said, the kids make it easy. They're, they're, they're so fun to coach and they're so, uh, they're so into training. It's, it's not, you're not twisting kids' arms to get them in the weight room. It's the best part of their day. So it's, yeah. uh, our job is easy when, when we get that. Spent many hours in the prep school weight room. That's for sure. It was <laughs> one of my favorite places because it wasn't anywhere else around military. I could just, I could just be in, you know, we used to, uh, make the deep V's, right? Our personal deep V's. <laughs> We used to rip our shirts out, uh-huh. our V-necks, like shredded all the way down to like our our, our top ab. So, <laughs> I, I I I firmly believe I love the I love the personality that comes out uh, in the weight room and and whatever you know you get after it a thousand different ways, but you get after it, and that's the most yeah. important thing. Yeah, Chris has been great to have you on and sharing your stories. We really appreciate it. Um, before we uh, end this podcast, maybe you're wearing a legacy alive. Um, sure. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about that and uh, your role with it. And I know that, you know, being through right. What you've been through in the military and maybe that kind of helps in, in a way with legacies alive. Sure. Uh, yeah. Legacies Lives is a nonprofit, uh, that I work for. I'm a treasurer for them. Co-founded by, uh, army football brothers, Mark, uh, Mike Beatty, Mark Feldowski, uh, after Mike did his walk around the country and, you know, we, Support Gold Star families, uh, you know, remembering our fallen soldiers, uh, keep their keep their legacies alive. That's that's our that's our goal, um, in whatever form that may be. We do different challenges and different things throughout the year. We sponsor different events, bringing Gold Star families together, helping them through the, that process uh, of losing losing someone and keeping that community, trying to tr- attempting to keep that community um, in a in a group that I think this is just me personally. Just often, you know, somebody gets we lose somebody in combat and or um, we lose somebody, we do all the things then, but what comes later, um, that for, for, for all those families, those, uh, 
you know, that service member is still going. So it doesn't, doesn't go away for them. Um, and, you know, I got to come home. Not everybody else. I, I got to come home to my mom, you know, my dad, my wife. Um, not everybody else did. So that's kind of what we're, the, the void we're, we're, we're trying to fill there and trying to help out and, and uh, help that community along. No doubt. And then the support, I remember uh, when Mike did his walk and I remember talking to Mike. I, I, Greg Washington is another guy, a former mm -hmm. Army player that's done a lot of that stuff to try to raise awareness. And um, man, uh, just the, the support, I don't think you can underestimate the support that that, what that can do, the power of what that can do for a family, just to know that, hey, they have somebody to talk to, right? They have somebody mm -hmm. that will be, that'll be there for them. Steve, almost like what you talk about with the Army Football Brotherhood, right? There's always, uh, a text or a phone call away, even the, the old grads, even the guys who are starting to play right now for Army. So, um, yeah, it was a really, really cool experience. You know, I got to, I got to talk uh, my chain of command into when I was at Fort Stewart. I got to talk them into, hey, we're going to do a 12 miler and we're going to do 12 miles from when Mike Vitti's 12 miles from Tybee Island hitting the ocean. Um, <laughs> and it was, it was a, it ended up being a uh, – I think the risk assessment ended up being, like, up to the brigade commander because we were doing, like, a ruck, like, all, next to a highway, like, you know. And then my first sergeant said he joined in, so that, like, limited it a little bit. Uh, but it was just going to be a PL on, like, his 40 dudes. <laughs> Jordan Mike on the last 12 miles of his stretch before he touches the East Coast. Uh, so that was a really cool experience. Got to talk to Mike um, for a while on that. Got to talk to Mark, which was really cool. Um, but I think the biggest thing, um, you know, you know, I, uh, you know, unfortunately you, you stay in the army long enough, you're going to lose someone close to you. Um, and you're going to feel what the family goes through, um, you know, really close. Um, but the, I think what, what I've learned through my experience with, with the, my brothers that I've lost is literally keeping their legacy life, talking to those families sharing stories that they may have never heard maybe they never even wanted to hear them but it, it it's keeping them alive in the spirit of their family and knowing that they're not the only ones that are thinking about their their fallen soldier their loved one every day um and uh i think that's that's one of the the most important things is just you know the the name says it all and, and that's what we try to do is you know just we talk to the the families the survivors the gold star families. Um, you know, it, I, I text, uh, you know, spouses or moms randomly and just be like, Hey, uh, get this. I just, I just thought of this. Um, and you know, we chat for a couple minutes here and there and it, it's, um, you know, it's, it's our little, I don't know. It's our little relationship that we have over, over, you know, something that, you know, unfortunately just, you know, is tragic and, uh, but we're keeping them alive and it, it's an awesome, Nonprofit. Um, I think that's cool that you're doing that, Chris, and and love that um, you're getting to do it with a, a couple Army football players as well. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I've been I've only been on for about a little over two years now, but when you know they asked me to join the team, it was a no-brainer. It's uh, you know my best friends, you know, Colin Mooney, Mark Mark Fadowski, Mike Vitti, um, Matt Hernandez, all those guys that you know that we played with, that uh, is that um, that have built such. And I'm, like I said, coming into it relatively new. They've been doing it since 2014. And the community that they've built of Gold Star families is just, it's humbling and awe-inspiring. Just the the uh, 
the closeness and the share, just the, the love that they've built within that community that, uh, that they've done. Um, so yeah, it's an honor to be a part of it. I'm glad, you know, I'm, I'm, they asked me to help out. So just trying to do my part in, uh, in helping out. I'm, I'm so glad we got an opportunity to talk about that, Steve, because that's a, a topic that we really gotten on in this podcast and we're closing in on close to a hundred episodes here. So I'm so glad that we were able to talk about the legacies alive. And uh, Chris, like I said before, we really appreciate having you on, uh, taking all the time you have. Um, and your your impact on, like we said, on Army football it, it is it can't be measured. And we really appreciate um, just all your insight and and what you uh, what you've done for first off, first off what you've done for our country and what you continue to do for Army football. I appreciate you guys having me. Thank you for doing what you do, and uh, it's it's awesome to listen to you guys every every week or so, and uh, just you know hear hear old voices you haven't heard in so long, and uh, and just you know it goes back to the culture and like the shared. Uh, shared path that we you know we're talking about earlier just to hear 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 you guys weekly talk to these guys that just kind of continue keep keeping what we do relevant and talked about and that's what makes it special you know that's what uh that's what that's what we all signed up for so we're all here for so yeah thank you guys for doing this appreciate it chris and uh maybe i'll see you at the golf outing this year definitely i'll be here brother right. <laughs> see you later bro right. be navy guys beat them